The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Let's conspire to talk a little bit about conspiracies. A lot of people who claim to be strong believers are sadly sidetracked with studying conspiracy theories about the New World Order, about the Pope, and about the Antichrist. Instead of focusing on the negatives, shouldn't we be studying the end-time prophecies that focus upon the Lord? The Apostle Peter said that we have a more sure word of prophecy as the time draws closer to the Second Coming. Unlike conspiracy theories, the prophecies of the Bible are guaranteed to come to pass. And I'm going to share with you three keys to survive the end times, three admonitions that hopefully will help to keep us all on track. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. We have a firm prophetic message that's completely reliable in this Bible. And the Apostle Peter admonished us. He said, you will do well to pay attention to these Bible prophecies. They are like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Well, that was very poetic language for the fisherman, the Apostle Peter. But he meant that just as the day star brings light before the sunrise, so the Bible's prophetic words alert us that Jesus will soon return gloriously. You'll find that promise in 2 Peter 1.19, where the apostle encouraged us to take notice of the lamp of prophecy, which shines in the dark to direct us. His application is that the morning is coming, the Lord's at hand. So lift up your heads for his redemption draws nigh. If we realize that we're living in the last days of world history prior to the second coming of Jesus, it's vitally important to walk in holiness, in love, and especially in a continual state of forgiveness. So my first key to survive the end times is to be sure that we're walking in love and in truth because the haters out there are ferocious and their hate is infectious. Concerning the necessity to forgive, there's an extraordinary testimony of an African pastor named Daniel, which is detailed on the internet. One day he left his house in a huff, refusing to forgive his wife after a heated quarrel. The next moment he was killed in a car accident and found himself in hell. Well, his wife refused to bury him and decided to transport his coffin to a Reinhard Bonka gospel meeting in Nigeria. There, Pastor Daniel was raised from the dead in the church basement because some intercessors decided to honor his wife's faith to pray over the corpse in the coffin. Although his body had been embalmed, Pastor Daniel came back to life. He testified that he went to hell, despite being a pastor, because he had died while harboring unforgiveness in his heart against his wife. Does that shock you that a man of God would end up in hell? 
Well, Jesus very clearly taught in the Gospels that if you cannot forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. I looked up this verse in the Aramaic Bible in plain English, renders Mark chapter 11, verse 26 like this. But if you are not forgiving, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your faults. It's been said that the person who cannot forgive destroys the very bridge over which he must pass because everybody with that exception has a need to be forgiven. The bottom line is this. Unforgiveness is not worth an eternity in hell. And just to underscore this point about walking in forgiveness, I recently heard about a sign and wonder that was shared by a very truthful pastor that I know. At a funeral service in Romania, a woman was being eulogized as a great person, as a pillar of her local church. But suddenly, to everyone's great shock, the woman sat up in her open coffin and said, No, that's not true. I'm in hell because I couldn't forgive that woman. And she pointed to a certain woman in the congregation whom she had hated and never forgiven. Then she fell back into her coffin, stone dead. Whether or not that was true event or just a dramatic sermon illustration, the question remains, what is it about Jesus' warning to forgive that we don't believe? He said very solemnly in Mark chapter 11, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But Jesus warned, if you refuse to forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So let's learn to behave like our Father in heaven who forgives us without any merit on our part. You see, we should forgive because it's important for our own peace of mind and physical well-being. Unforgiveness festers like a cancer. But most of all, we should develop a mindset always to release forgiveness, no matter what. Because being able to forgive is the very condition of our own forgiveness. So, walking in love and forgiveness is the number one requirement of a circumspect, true believer in these last days. My second key to survive the end times is to watch and study Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy being fulfilled should keep us on track because the knowledge of the soon coming of the Lord is our blessed hope that causes us to purify ourselves just as a bride prepares herself for her bridegroom. When we study Bible prophecy and understand the times, we're less likely to fall into carelessness and into sin. But it can be easy to get off track by being sucked into conspiracy theories and teachings that take the focus away from the Lord. In fact, 1 John 4.1 is an important verse because it admonishes us to stop believing every spirit. Instead, test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Staying on track in these turbulent times will take the wisdom and perseverance of God. 
You see, in the Torah, in Numbers 22, the man named Balaam was a genuine prophet, yet he allowed his prophetic office and the privileges of his prophetic office to be manipulated because of greed. The desire for riches, success, and recognition can become real stumbling blocks and cause a spirit of antichrist to be introduced into the church through false teachings and greedy merchandising. Bible scholars tell us that the phrase antichrist doesn't just mean against the Messiah, but in place of the Messiah. And many teachings going around in the churches or in the Christian media take the emphasis away from the Lord. Whereas a major theme of the Bible focuses solidly upon the literal second coming of Jesus. Bible scholars inform us that for every time the Lord's first coming is mentioned in the Bible, the second coming is mentioned eight times. Well, all scripture is inspired by God and a great deal of scripture concerns Bible prophecy. We have to face the fact that it's not a special interest issue, but Bible prophecy, especially about the second coming, is a subject that every believer should study regularly. Well, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, after the ascension of Jesus to heaven, two angels appeared on the scene and challenged the disciples. They said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here and just gazing into the heaven? The angel said, this same Jesus who is taken up from you shall come in the same manner that you've seen him go. Their promise was just as Jesus physically and literally left planet Earth, he will physically and literally come again to planet Earth. He'll be the same person returning literally in the same way. He'll descend in the clouds, even as he went up in the clouds. So don't let anybody spiritualize this away from you. The event of the second coming will be literal. And this word of God is at stake on the matter. If Jesus doesn't return, the Bible will be a false book. But I believe that all the prophecies in this book regarding the Messiah will come to pass in minute detail. Not just some of the prophecies pertaining to his first coming, but all of the messianic prophecies pertaining also to his second coming. The first time Jesus appeared, he fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies literally. For example, Isaiah 7:14 prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and that literally happened. Micah 5:2 pinpointed Bethlehem as the Messiah's birthplace. Although the Lord is known as Jesus of Nazareth, he was in fact born in Bethlehem, the city of his ancestral father David. Many people, for example, Lawrence of Arabia, they're famous by association with a certain territory. But T.E. Lawrence, who became known as Lawrence of Arabia, was born in Wales. Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem due to providential circumstances. His stepfather Joseph and his mother Mary had to visit Bethlehem at the end of her pregnancy to participate in a national census. God was simply sovereign in the timing and the place of Jesus' birth in order for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
Well, Hosea 11.1 1 is another verse that prophesied that the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. And that prophecy was literally fulfilled because the Holy Family became refugees in Egypt due to King Herod's slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. So they had to flee to Egypt. Zechariah 9.9 is another specific prophecy that Jesus literally fulfilled. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, Yeshua, literally fulfilled the scenario on Palm Sunday. And there were many other prophecies that Jesus fulfilled literally. He would be betrayed by a friend. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be crucified as a common criminal, but buried in a rich man's grave. All these details were prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures. For example, Psalm 69 verse 21 prophesied that gall and vinegar would be given to him to drink. And that happened at the cross. Psalm 22 prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced while lots would be cast for his garments. And Psalm 1610 prophesied the resurrection. It says, For you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. That prophecy was literally fulfilled because Jesus' crucified body was buried, but his body did not suffer decomposition. He was raised from the dead and showed himself to be alive to his disciples. Still, some people haven't received Jesus as Messiah. They haven't believed in him with the foolish argument that he didn't fulfill all the prophecies in the Bible concerning the Messiah. But what they're missing is the fact that the other prophecies will be literally fulfilled at the Lord's second coming. For example, Psalm 2 quotes God Almighty saying, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Ask of me and I shall give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is one of my very favorite Psalms and one of my mentors in Jerusalem hardly preached a sermon without making reference to Psalm 2. This great psalm declares that God will enthrone his anointed, his Messiah, on the hill of Zion, and all nations will worship him and be subject to his authority under a rod of iron. The Messiah, as the son of David, will rule the nations. Well, you say, that didn't happen, so... How can Jesus be the Jewish Messiah? But the first coming of Jesus isn't the end of the story. His story, history, is far from finished. Jesus will come again as the roaring lion of Judah, and he'll set up his rule on the hill of Zion, and then Psalm 2 will be literally fulfilled. Hallelujah. Isaiah 9.6 is another messianic prophecy that has had only partial fulfillment. In this one verse alone, we see both the past and the future. 
It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Well, that part has come to pass. But then the verse jumps nearly 2,000 years into the future to the second coming. And the verse continues, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the next verse adds, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. That's going to happen in the future when Messiah, who was the suffering servant the first time, returns as triumphant King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus has yet to occupy the throne of his father David, even though that promise was given to Jesus' mother. The angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was selected by God to bear the Messiah. And in Luke 1.32, Gabriel promised Mary that her son will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Gabriel said the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Did that happen in Jesus' lifetime? No, but it will happen literally in the future. As Jesus himself explained in his own Bible study on the road to Emmaus, a Bible study that he gave to two of his disciples after the resurrection, Jesus said to them, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would first have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? So the first time he came, Yeshua suffered and made atonement for Israel and for the entire world, for all and anybody who will put their trust in him as Savior and Lord. But the second time when Jesus returns in great glory, he will sit on the throne of David and establish justice and righteousness from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The world government will be upon his shoulders and there will be no end to the increase of his government and peace. You see, many people don't accept Jesus as the Messiah because they say he didn't achieve world peace. They simply don't understand the full counsel of God in this word of God because this word shows two comings of Jesus. Jesus himself spoke many times about his second coming. And when he returns, he'll judge among many people and he'll rebuke strong nations afar off. In fact, both the prophets Isaiah and Micah prophesied a time of peace when nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Those well-known prophecies are actually memorialized at the United Nations building in New York, but they refer to the second coming of Jesus and not his first coming. Many peace treaties have been forged, yet peace remains very elusive. Only when the Lord returns will the nations receive true peace and justice for all, not fake peace. In fact, we may as well face the facts that the Bible predicts that permanent world peace can only be achieved when the Prince of Peace, Jesus, returns. There's nonstop talk of a peace treaty in the Middle East, and even a false peace treaty will tragically evolve first. But the only hope of true and lasting peace is when Jesus returns 
to rule the world with his rod of iron. And when Jesus returns, Israel will receive national salvation and restoration to her position as the head and not the tail. You see, God has made many wonderful promises to the nation of Israel. And most of those promises are unfulfilled. Yet Zechariah 12 prophesies that there will be an outpouring of the spirit of grace and supplications upon Jerusalem in the last days. And the Jewish people will mourn for Yeshua as one mourns for an only son. Zechariah chapter 13 goes on to prophesy a fountain of salvation will be open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now to sum up what we've said so far in this program, I've been speaking to myself as much as I've been admonishing you with keys to stay on track in these tremendously exciting but potentially dangerous last days. First of all, we must walk in love and forgiveness 24-7 when we have occasions to hold grudges. And believe me, there are plenty of occasions almost on a daily basis because we're living in a fallen world. We have to train ourselves to live in a constant state of releasing forgiveness. When someone offends you, just train yourself to release forgiveness as quickly as possible. Don't hold on to it. Refuse to nurse a grudge so God can forgive you. Otherwise, your unforgiveness will block the release of God's forgiveness into your life. Secondly, instead of becoming engrossed and enticed by conspiracy theories and false teachings that are abounding, we need to study the sure Bible prophecies about Messiah and look for the remaining Bible prophecies to be literally fulfilled. Returning to our first love, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, will keep us safely on track. And now to quickly explore my third key to survive and thrive in these last days. It's very important in order to stay on track to live in a constant state of anticipating the Lord's imminent return while at the same time disciplining ourselves to be faithful to bring in the harvest of souls. That's the simple key. Let's concentrate on souls. Let's bring in the harvest. Remember the angels at the Lord's ascension rebuked the disciples. They said, why are you still standing around staring up into the sky? This same Jesus will come in like manner. So the implication was stop being idle. Get busy bringing the Gentile harvest before the second coming. That means especially in these last days, we're going to be super busy concentrating on winning as many souls as possible in the remaining times of the Gentiles. In fact, our program, Exploits, is based upon a scripture verse, Daniel eleven thirty two, which says that the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits. That means we'll take action and do the works of the Lord in the time allotted to us. Meanwhile, it's so important to combat unbelief even within the church concerning the second coming because many professing Christians simply don't believe that Jesus will ever return. When you mention the second coming, unbelievably, many of these 
professing believers are lazy. They yawn rather than yearn for his coming. Many of these professing believers have simply spiritualized away the scriptures. In effect, they're unbelieving believers. They have no real hope or anticipation that the Lord will literally return and fulfill all the remaining messianic prophecies. In fact, the Apostle Peter warned us that the end times would be characterized by such people, scoffers who will mock at the very idea of the Lord's promise to return. Yet Jesus told us that when we see the signs of the Jewish people back in their own land, in their capital city of Jerusalem, once again under Jewish sovereignty, that these two events above all the earthquakes and all the other signs should alert us that his coming is near. In fact, Jesus in Luke 21 said, look at the fig tree and all of the trees. You see, the fig tree is a Bible idiom for the nation of Israel. He said, when these trees sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. So also, Jesus said, when you see these things taking place, you'll know that the kingdom of God is near. With that scripture in mind about summertime, I want to tell you a little story about a father who was leaving home for a few months. And his little boy asked, when will you come back, Daddy? The little boy was too young to understand dates and months. So the father simply said, I'm coming home in the summer. So when you see the trees full of blossoms and when the weather gets really hot, you'll know Daddy will be home soon. Well, the weather turned from winter to spring. And when the days got hot, the little boy began to jump up and down saying, Daddy is coming home soon. I want you to know that Jesus is coming soon. And how can I be so sure? Well, all I have to do is look around me at Israel and at Jerusalem and what's happening in the Holy Land are sure signs to guarantee that Jesus is indeed coming soon. Even now, God is rapidly gathering the Jewish people back into their own land. And anti-Semitism is shaking the Jews out of the nations. That's why we must watch and pray and quickly bring in the harvest of souls. Time is short to finish bringing the nations into the fullness of the Gentiles. It's also my prayer that nobody watches this program without committing their lives to the Lord. It's so important not to delay your surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that when he comes, he appears as your savior and not as your judge. You can't save yourself and the church can't save you. Only the savior can save you, Jesus. And how does it work? The Bible teaches in Romans 10:9 that if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. And in the meantime, we'd like to invite you to stay in touch with me through social media and through our website at exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. All our videos are available for viewing at any time. We also post prayer points at our website that will help you to become an effective intercessor as a watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. And so always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem.
I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. What an amazing panorama of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. To the east is the Mount of Olives, and beyond that, the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, and the nation of Jordan, where presently 600,000 Syrian refugees have escaped. It's hard to imagine that right beyond this horizon, there is a holocaust going on amongst the Christian population of the Middle East. That's why the Jerusalem Channel has been created, to bring you a perspective of biblical events in the Middle East. When you visit our website every day, we have updates on news, prophecy, and what's happening and how it all tells us that Jesus is coming soon to establish His rule in this city. We want to invite you to become a supporter of the Jerusalem Channel. If you give in the United States, please know that your gift is tax deductible. And in the United Kingdom, we can claim gift aid on your donation. And so we invite you to get behind the Jerusalem Channel. There's never been a day like right now. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles. Israel is rising again and God is visiting this nation. So stay in touch at exploits.tv. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom. <laughs>